1: With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson.
0: Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have indie rock artist Ed Roman to talk about his experience with growing food and music. Ed is an award-winning singer-songwriter, performer, and multi-instrumentalist from Shelburne, Ontario, Canada. Blurring the lines between pop, rock, folk, and country music, Ed's uniquely crafted songs have received regular rotation on more than 100 terrestrial radio stations across North America, and more than 400 stations worldwide. Ed is a 2014 International Music and Entertainment Association Award winner, a two-time IMEA Award nominee, a Josie Show Awards nominee, an Academia Awards winner, and 2016 Liberia Awards nominee, and a two-time Indie Music Channel Award winner. Wow, that's a lot. Ed is also a farmer who grows his own food for his family and community. Welcome to the show today, Ed.
2: Hey, Greg. It's a pleasure to be on the urban farm, my friend.
0: Thank you so much. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now?
2: Sure. I guess we're always sort of filling in the blanks as we go along. That's the beauty of life. Um, yeah, I, I grew up at a, a amazing time in, in in our culture. The 21st century now is so uh, inundated with digitized sort of thinking and methodology, and it brings us right now together in this conversation, ironically. But yeah, isn't with that, that crazy? With, with that said, you know, we lived on 1,500 acres and had 250 um, uh, Holsteins that we milked. Plus, oh wow, my pa- parents brought. Uh, blonde Aquitaine's into uh, Canada from France back in the 70s. And well, my I... dad, because of international things that he was doing um, and because he was the mayor of our town uh-huh. for 30 years, uh, federal MP, first coalition candidate ever in the history of Canadian federal politics. Uh-huh. Uh, police commissioner he was traveling a lot he was knighted for his ability to be able to smell certain things and wines in burgundy in france so oh interesting this, this connection to france and even who i'm named after is a gentleman by the name of eddie Roboton, who was a, a cattle exporter so farming is in my blood and even when my parents came as young children from europe and grandparents we did this as a part of our lifestyle. It wasn't anything that was related to uh, prepping or people that are living outside of the box. It's how we sustained a good portion of our existence. So, you know, when we were kids and we went to the grocery store, it was like, basic things that you needed for you know six months of the year which was like coffee maybe you're a local butcher things that were like that but almost 90 percent of everything that was on our dinner table came from our farm in our backyards Uh and because of that you know and as people say you know it's like well kids you know they they love to get involved with what their parents are doing i was lucky enough because of that time frame To have that kind of enthusiasm around me in and what we did even when we were working with the cattle It wasn't a chore. Yes. We all had these Responsibilities that we did every day, but Uh the the glory if I can say that behind how we achieved what we did was what fed us emotionally this is another reason, like people like, "Why well, can't garden? I can't grow things. I can't farm." Well, you know, as we move through anything as people, hopefully we perceive what we're doing, uh-huh. and we learn. We learn from our experiences. Right. So I'm always trying to encourage people. Yes, you can do this. I can give you tips. You don't need a farm. You'd be surprised at how much food you can grow. So with that said. I also, you know, in a, in a metaphorical kind of way, grew up in the 70s when music to me was more like a garden oh, yes. where uh, there was a, a huge amount of different kinds of music that were flowing through my home mm-hmm. through three generations of people living together so I had influx of Eastern European classical music my parents were into the jazz and popular era of the 50s Right. my brothers and sisters 10 years older than I were listening to music from the 60s and 70s when I came of age in the 80s I had close to fifty to sixty years of music at my disposal. Oh and wow! It was everywhere because nobody was isolated with a computer hiding in a bedroom. Right. We had one TV with three stations, <laughs> and and we got like a Buffalo, New York station and two Toronto stations, and, and then you know we had a couple radios. But then there was records playing all the yep. time and, and vinyl, right? vinyl like yeah writing for record space you know, you know my sister's got her john denver on my brother wants to listen to deep purple then my dad's gonna put on his sinatra records <laughs> it was just like so here i got this bathtub let's say of ideas and things that were always at my doorstep and not only that look i remember coming home in 1980 and even in the 70s and in '81. Into my kitchen and people sitting around, you know, at four o'clock, the bus you off. Why are people crying? Did somebody die? These were moments when I remember Elvis Presley dying. Oh, yeah. John Lennon being assassinated. Bob Marley, you know, being killed. The uh, dying, excuse me. Yeah. All, all, with all that said, I realized the power that word and music had in culture. And right. I was, I was hooked. And as I got older, I started to you know, study music and things like that, and it led me down the path of realization that, look, it's all music. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's jazz, funk, rock, R&B, country, soul, disco, I don't care. If it's good, it works. Ellington once said there's only two types of music, good music and bad music. <laughs> and, and, and a garden to me is the same way. You yeah, right. can grow a crop of one thing. And provide and turn, it, but to me, I also know what happens during cross pollination,
0: uh-huh.
2: and I've got some amazing results through music and allowing the garden, if you will, to take hold. So when people say I blur the lines between certain genres, that's just me letting things cross pollinate because they're telling me that. You know, you know as well as I do, Greg, and I'm sure James is a gardener as well. It's like, look. I can't control what a bee does, and if all of a sudden my zucchini is crossed with a, a, a gourd that I've got, and now I've got a cross between a zucchini and a spaghetti squash, uh-huh. I'm, I feel I'm lucky. And I didn't have anything to do with that experience other than that I allowed the space to exist for it to occur. And yeah. music and art work the same way for me. As I get older, I start to realize, okay, you may have written a tune, And it might be about a certain subject, but when you set off on that course, your original intention is this, but as it pulls you through the experience, you Mm -hmm. realize, wait, no, 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 it needs to be like this. And it's telling you it wants to be like this, and it's showing you more through the process than you thought that you, you were originally going through. And the same thing with gardening you look at your plants, they're talking to you, they're saying, "We need this. There's too much you know, light space being lit up by these big gourds I know, I want more light. Can you taper this down somehow, pick some flowers and bread them and eat them for crying out loud." Uh-huh. All of that, to me, works the same way. Like when Alan, or, or, um, Nimoy, uh, excuse me, left the building a little while ago, Mr. Spock., yep. you know, his final statement on Twitter was, "Life is like a garden," and I'm paraphrasing. But in, in Leonard, when he said that it was like I, you know, potent at the time, but even more and more as I go on, I go, wow, you know, he's so right, right, um, and and that's the way I see life. I try to live my life that way every day, and 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 I'm and I'm interested in, in things that that propel me through what that is. You uh-huh. hear a lot of socio political stuff in my music just because it was my background. My at the age of five, there's twelve of us all sitting around a dinner table after the huge political discussion. My dad looks at me and goes, well, what do you think? You know, I realized my opinion mattered even at a young age. I mean, I was canvassing doors at the age of seven. So uh, knowing what's going on in politics and and I also have, a, uh, if you will, a, a big uh, interest in crypto politics because this isn't something new in my mental horizon. Uh-huh. My, my, fa- my father and my uncle, both being who they were, um, had a lot of connections to, let's say, the proverbial line before the carpet or the curtain starts where the other people that we may not know and in a clandestine fashion are behaving. So when you're like a wealthy mining tycoon and invited to the Vatican for, you know, uh, uh, Vatican II, which uh-huh. is to talk about the divinity of Christ, uh, my uncle was sort of, you know, let's say uh, not manipulated but tried uh, people tried to coerce him in certain ways to behave and to act yeah. and to participate in things and so, I, and my and my father was even almost bribed a number of times in political office so, interesting so I, I, I want you to
0: I want you to define something for me I want you to define crypto politics because I've not heard well, that term before
2: well because I've, I've defined it it's a, it's a thing that I've created and I'm actually thinking about writing a book called the 21st century guide to crypto politics and what I mean by that is for instance uh, people have the acts and the bills that are being passed in Canada. And the pharmacological acts that are you know, being passed, which uh-huh. again, turn, sponsor farms through subsidies and give them seeds provided they pay into them. People think, well, this is for the betterment of the common good. It's sold in a commercial fashion to people through advertisement, basic uh-huh. stuff that the federal government does. But then you realize that on a corporate level that Monsanto, In uh, 1996, moved here, their head offices, onto the campus of the biggest and oldest agricultural college that we have in this country. Really? And they are the biggest lobbyists to the federal government and Mm -hmm. give money left, right, and center to what that is so that agenda goes through. Now, you have 95% of the farming union that's pleading with the agricultural minister and saying, please don't allow this to occur, and they're being ignored this is what i mean by crypto politics got
0: it so it sounds to me like you've been growing food really all your life can you tell us about your garden and the gardens you're growing in uh, canada
2: sure Uh, well when i was a kid we had about a two acre garden always um and my dad was you know and mom were both extremely passionate about you know not only growing food for ourselves but you know we st- took stuff to market uh-huh. there was, you know farming competitions we had a big family of 50 of us between all the families that lived in that uh, neck of the woods so it was like we were sharing continually as well uh, my gardening and how it's changed is well i'm no longer on that 1500 acres i'm in a, in a old rural uh, farming community where i live oh nice. uh, but my my garden is about 80 by 60 and, uh, wow. in, that, in that space, I mean, I can't keep up <laughs> with, with, with everything that I'm growing. I shut, sent you that little photo earlier. We usually do 24 different kinds of tomato plants, yeah. 24 different peppers. I'm doing okra this year, but lettuce and snap peas and potatoes, we usually do 15 to 20 rows and about 12 rows of beets and, the list is like endless in terms of like how much we grow and what we grow. And we're always rotating and things like that. But we have to go through the canning and our jarring process in mm-hmm. October because, as I said, we can't even keep up with the amount of food. And at the same time, we've developed store trade with some smaller stores in town. Oh, so nice. We're specifically going to start doing that this year with uh, cabbage. Cabbage. Uh, certain kinds of pumpkins, um, okra, obviously, because we have a big influx of West Indies people moving up into our neck of the woods. Oh, right, of course. So so, so that aside from store trade, then there's the small sales that go on with the other store that's in town.
1: Mm-hmm. Now,
2: I, And people are like, you know, I, I always point out to people, it's like you can actually make money from your own backyard, and even if you're not doing a store trade or selling it. Oh, yeah. Think, about, think, man, of how much money you save every year and and the the that sort of you know glorified feeling of like look in the morning I can go out and pick something and eat it for dinner I can go out and pick <laughs> things for dinner and eat
0: it isn't that great
2: it is and here's the thing aside from the let's say people think it's arduous or it's work or whatever I guess when I was talking before about the passionate side of things in terms of it that love relationship, that tactical relationship that you redevelop. So it's not the arbitrary drive to the grocery store, check out on the conveyor belt. There's a newfound love for what and where and how food is grown. Uh-huh. And, and I think that changes your, your whole perspective yeah. as far as eating, consuming, and everything else.
0: Fantastic. So you mentioned when we were chatting before we started recording. About some work you're doing in Jamaica, can you tell us about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I fell in love with Treasure Island and books like that as a kid. Yeah, and uh, I, 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 you know, in my, my teens, like who's Bob Marley, who's Peter Tosh, who's you mm. know Jimmy Cliff. Oh yeah, I, I just love reggae music. The messages behind it, uh, the simplicity at complexity. um and then being there, we hadn't been anywhere in 10 years because it's work, work, work is two artists. So I said to my wife, come on, let's go. We went to a resort, but in very short time, we made a lot of friends with gardening staff and people that were cook, cooks and musicians that were at the resort. And we just thought, look. Let's go back, but not do that, and find a place in the jungle somewhere, and
0: we
2: (laughs) did. Um, Papa Kervin's is a recording studio with four little cabins. They're just three doors down from UB40. Oh, Uh, nice. Ian Ian Fleming's house is just down the street. You're right Uh near James Bond Beach. That said, we have the real island experience, and people, I think, don't realize that Jamaicans work a lot, Mm -hmm. but... The cost of living is almost symmetrical when you think of it as it is to here, and the average Jamaican makes about 135 dollars in a fortnight, American, and then you go grocery shopping to a store store to buy other things, and you're like, wow, it's really expensive. No wonder it's, hard. and that's that's why we, you know, realizing these things. Look, Jamaicans may not have running the water, they may not have a toilet seat, they bathe in the river but they have a, a modern 21st century phone to keep up with the Joneses, let's say. Uh-huh. So I wanted to write a tune about my experience being there. And in that time frame, you know, people can't help but ask you for things. And, you know, okay, well, we found a place here that ships stuff in barrels really cheaply. Uh-huh. And so at our own cost, we, we pay for the barrels, but we've said to neighbors and friends and family, look, you got old shoes kids clothes electronics books whatever it doesn't matter they need this stuff uh-huh. and and we started collecting stuff in our garage and about every four to six months we get three to four of these big huge shipping barrels and send them down there to kind of give back and people were like "Well, what organization is it part of no organization it's just you got to think about your fellow man and just go yeah. ahead and do it right
0: yeah now. exactly
2: but, you know, we also became godparents to a child there, so we have kind of got family. And uh, my wife and I's, you know, 10-year plan is to build an artist retreat there, similar to Papa Kervin's, that people can go record music, hang out. Uh, we know so many people on the island now, and I've played music all over the island. I, I met Bunny Whaler, I actually sought him out because... A lot of the musicians that are there are wayward boys or were living on the street. And they went to this place called Alpha Boys School. Uh And they they teach five trades, one of which is music. And when I found that, uh, and and that Bunny Whaler was actually trying to start a school, but the uh, Ministry ministry of Education was giving him a bit of a hard time because he's a Rasta. I thought, well, wait a minute. I wonder if we did like an international or global fundraiser to try to put together this kind of bookmobile concept, but of a music school. So the bus oh, would travel nice. from parish to parish. Yeah. Teaching young kids hands on, you know, because look, as I said before. Those early experiences you have as a kid, Mm -hmm. somebody that's enthusiastic, will last a lifetime. Because most kids won't get hands-on instrumentation experience unless they're lucky enough to have an instrument.
0: Yep, exactly. At the
2: same time in the older grades. So I thought, okay, I met Bunny. He said, yes, I would support this kind of a thing. We need 10 more people like you. And he looks at my wife and says, we need 20 more like her. (laughs) And, and, And... and I thought, okay, well, this could work, but there's a lot of red tape. And uh-huh. as I slowly work my way more onto the island, so it's not who's the white cat from Canada wanting to do this for no reason. Right. I, I can figure it out and make it work. I already know a Dutch company that tried a recycling program. It was working oh. for three years. They developed an infrastructure. It was They were cleaning up Jamaica, and the government came in and started to tax them. and said, we're out of here. So mm. if I, if I'm getting thousands of dollars in charitable donations to make this work, I don't want to you know let the kids down first of all, and yeah. have it not work. So right. it's tricky. <laughs>
0: wow. So and so we've been kind of skating along the music. Let's go there next. So your current album, Letters from High Latitudes, is described as being an earthy, funky, magical mix of music, and a vehicle for your socio-political, earthly conscious, and globally awareness messages can you tell us a bit about that
2: <laughs> oh i'm funky at heart you know i like all kinds of music but yeah it's gotta music's gotta have to me some sort of soul and some kind of a message in
0: it. oh I, yeah I, absolutely
2: i i like i said i'm a child of the 70s so when you think about some of the the chutzpah behind th- that music, you, you know, for me, it's the same thing. And I, oh, big I also time. think we live at a really important time, Greg, in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. We have the ability to make a lot of choices on our own without yeah. it having to be a part of groupthink. And I think that that's more of what the revolution, if you will, when it comes to common sense thinking, needs to be. He, the torch bat, take it up against the government methodology is never going to work. Mm-hmm. My grandfather left Europe and was disowned by his family in the 20s because he said, Look, man, you know, this guy Hitler, he's going to go crazy. Oh, yeah. Half, half of my family were wound up, put in concentration camps, and killed. So his decision to live but not participate is to me the key and the message in a lot of my music
1: mm, it, it, mm-hmm. it means
2: that yes that might be there yes you may not have another country to run to but the choices that we do and make every day will affect everything for in, in the seven generation mentality because i've spent a lot of time with creed people um and their idea is that you have to think in seven generations hard for people to, oh, yeah. to think what happened about a week ago like, right oh, exactly generation yeah But it takes away the fear Mm -hmm. that so many people that I have and speak to have. And once you're empowered with certain things, like maybe I shouldn't buy those seeds because you start to realize I can live my life this way without it being the way that it, you know, like I said, the big red button is always on, right?
0: Oh yeah. So tell us the big red button.
2: Well, you know the flight or fight mechanism. Oh yes. Uh, yeah. I, if I turn on a television show and you are here right now, even our national weather syndicate,
1: <laughs> the ladies
2: will come on. She'll give you the flooding in Peru. She'll talk about the wildfires and fires in Alberta. She'll da 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 da, and she'll say it with a smile on her face. Yep. And to me, psychologically, because I've worked with kids for almost 25 years as a teacher, including special children, as well as kids that are addicted to certain kinds of things, I know well enough the angst and the anxiety and kind of where it comes from. Yeah. And because of that, it sells things. Oh, yeah. for them, invariably, when we're watching that show, you and I, Greg, we will go to commercial, and what will we have? We'll have the things that you'll need for the next mega storm. You'll have a battery commercial. You'll have a generator commercial. You'll have something about food, and just so that you don't feel too guilty, here's a nice vacation commercial. Yeah. And psychologically, that means that people are always being pulled up and pulled down, pulled up and pulled down. And once you realize what that is, the big red Mm. button is what I mean, Yep. There is no more Red Button. You just live your life.
0: Got it. So I saw your music video, I Found God. Love it. And for those listeners who haven't heard your music yet, um, can you share a bit about that song and maybe tell us where we can listen to it at?
2: Yes, you can go to Vivo, uh, my station on Vivo. Just search Ed Roman, or you can go to YouTube, uh-huh. Vivo HD. Woohoo. sharp. <laughs> but that's his. That tune is like something that's more for me an epitaph, stone tune. You know, I, I'm a bit of a pantheist and maybe a neopantheist. And because of that, you know, and because I've also spent enough time playing in an African bands, hanging out with a lot of Jamaicans and Rastas, hanging out with Crees, Ojibways. There's an, a flow of thinking about the world and what it is uh-huh. and this mother earth Gia esque as i said concept to me is a reality um i'm about to play a huge show tomorrow in the city of toronto that's uh, ken hall and patricia burns are doing it's a full anatomically blown out sculpture of a whale that washed up on the beaches of california wow mar- marine biologists determined we're so poisoned it was the most poisoned aquatic life animal they'd have ever come across. Aww. Ken's background was in digital graphics. He blew out the entire sculpture and built it out of found wood, discarded objects. And I'm playing all this whale music on wow. the upright bass and make these pilot whale sounds. This is this concept of what we do to the earth, we do to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we as people don't realize because we live in this sort of insular esque kind of bubble. About things uh, that it's happening. Um, We can't turn a blind eye to what those things are, whether it's us or it's natural. It's Uh part of a a solar cycle that happens every 12,500 to 36,000 years, which is almost incomprehensible to most people. Right,
0: time wise, yeah, for sure. Time wise,
2: for me, that song says these things. What you're standing on is God. Without it, we wouldn't be fighting, killing, loving, hugging, hating, kissing, and all those things with each other and exist and function. Uh-huh. So I'm trying to say that. you know it, It's been right beneath your shoes. It's been leaving subtle clues. And I, and I, 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 say, I say the line, I feel it so complete. It came upon a, a vision. I leave you my admissions. That's why I say it's almost like an epitaph. Thing right. Because without getting overly emotional about it, because I can. Uh-huh. And that's the way I am as a person. Um,
0: congratulations by the way I'm
2: I'm trying to get people to realize that because I've had aside from the wow what a great dinner and look at my carrot it's bigger than a child experience those quiet subtle moments standing on two feet barefoot on the earth I've had things that have occurred to me Uh that I can't I could never pay for yeah and could never be taken away from me so that song means a lot to me
0: yeah i can tell i can tell
2: pardon me folks no nope, it's, it's just it's just dad <laughs> yeah
0: no that's great that's great i was going to ask you to uh, share a few lines and as i was thinking that you were sharing a few, a few lines from it so
2: yeah i mean uh greg uh, you know I, I, people say, "Well, Ed, you know, why aren't you writing the big tunes and making lots of money and stuff?" I, I just want to make a living. Yeah. And my art is a reflection of of who I am. Without sounding egotistical, I found more. I feel more like Pliny the Younger these days. Uh-huh. Th- uh huh. W- witnessing the strange pyroclastic flow, you know, and trying to describe the situation that you're existing in.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: if anything. I have to be able to look back from album to album, year to year, or hopefully if I make it to a twilight year in my life and go, I wrote what I wrote because it meant something to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's art. And but- Herbie Hancock once said, the definition of an artist is one who has their, the ability to fuse their life with the rhythm of the times. So you know, I've never oh, been wow. about the disco pants and haircuts, even though I like disco pants and haircuts.
0: Uh huh. T- give us that uh, Herbie Hancock quote again. That was beautiful.
2: The definition of an artist is one who has the ability to fuse their life with the rhythm of the times. Wow. How he cool. wrote that on the back of Jaco Pastorius's first solo record, and he. There's another guy a huge influence on my life as far as being an electric bass player is concerned.
0: Uh-huh. Okay.
2: Herbie's the guy, man. Yeah,
0: sounds like it. So tell us what projects you're currently working on.
2: Well, I I, I was so eloquently asked by Jill Powell from uh, Heart Songs for Veterans uh, Corporation in the U.S. who is helping assist veterans that are in need of financial aid all over the place to write a song for this acoustical release called Heart Songs. And in the process of writing, and I'm always writing, you know, I found a grouping of 12 tunes that are going on the next record. And this particular song, Lay One Down, seemed to fit the moment. And not only that, for me as a writer, it has a bit of a Trojan horse kind of metaphor to it. Because as I, you pointed out, I'm very sociopolitical and I am trying to help out people. Even though I'm a pacifist and I'm not a proponent of war, Uh um, I'm trying to get people to think about their fellow man and to lay down their aggressions and to, uh, you know, not react to these gut instinct things that propel us into horrific situations. Mm -hmm. And I've met so many vets all over the U.S. playing in the last year and a half their stories are all similar their experiences are all similar they're different people but I, my heart goes out to them so mm-hmm. when i was asked i was like well yeah you know how can i help and and with that said that al- that song excuse me is going on the new album which is coming out very shortly in the next 3 4 weeks nice. it's called red omen and it's an anagram of my own name and it's oh, a, it's a, course. it's a look it's a look at you know not only me but everything that's kind of going on around me. You know, I, 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 I love Egyptology. And years ago, when I was a kid, I was like, I wanted to be an archaeologist. And I just love archaeology. And this one guy that's an IT expert decided to take it upon himself just as a hobby to start uh, studying Egyptian hieroglyphs. Oh, wow. He, he He went back to the original Rosetta Stone, which coincidentally is a song from Letters from High Latitudes. And started to realize that the Greek Latin uh, hieroglyphic translations were correct, but they were looking only at them as far as vowels and syllables. They weren't looking them at, at as them as acronyms or uh, the, the phrases themselves uh-huh. inside of what the entire cartouche is. So what he said is that our language at some point in time is going to be like. This. We're already this way. You open up your smartphone. It's filled with icons. Uh, They compute millions of bits of data instantaneously. We use acronyms continually. We now have emoticons that relate to certain things emotionally. This is kind of what the record is. It's filled with these iconographical symbols as well as statements. That are, that are talking about, the, again, this kind of moment in time that we live in and also suggesting that maybe, you know, it's a good idea to get outside and do some things in the backyard. <laughs> you think? Yeah. You think? Yeah.
0: <laughs> so what do you consider your biggest success?
2: My biggest success is probably the realization that I'll never stop learning. Hmm. I, 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 I love getting an award and an acclamation, but at the same time, I, I'm just pra- happy to practice my craft. Like, this is the most important thing to me, and to keep learning about what's happening to me and learning more about music. Oscar, Oscar Peterson said, you know, before he died, I'll never stop learning until he died. Yeah. And he was one of the world's greatest piano players, as well as the Chancellor of Music at York University. And, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for people that are like that.
0: Uh-huh.
2: So... I think that's my greatest success and that I can have that realization because I've seen a lot of ego in the industry. Oh yes. And, and, and with that said then becomes this stale stagnant clinical aspect to trying to only massage the ego as opposed to what is the craft about?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what drives you?
2: People, man, people and, and injustice, I would say.
0: I can, because I can hear, I, absolutely hear that.
2: I, 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 I see it so often, and, and, and just even as a kid, like, I mean, maybe I take it for granted that my parents the way were the way they were, but I was taught to respect people in every walk of life. Absolutely. We came, we came here with nothing. Yep. Uh, we were kind of considered dirty foreigners. My mom was a gypsy because she had earrings, and we ate garlic, and <laughs> this wasn't something that was normal for Canadians in the 20s. Right. So, you know, I think that that humbled and not like we weren't humble people because but at the same time, you know, my father said, look, you meet somebody, smile at them, you know, look them at the eye, introduce yourself, shake their hand. I, all of that is is where I see this change in, in society, where even the sense of common courtesy, if I say something, Greg, I do go to the, pay the till and I say, thank you kindly. And the woman looks at me and says, what? And I'm like, I said, you know, thank you kindly. Uh-huh. Like, and then I see other people that are coming in and out and like, give me this, give me that. And, dah, yep. dah, and, they're in and I get it. You're busy. But this civility that we have towards each other and some sense of empathy for each other's situations is yeah. what's not, you know, stopped us from killing one another already, you know? So I'm pushed by that. I'm driven by that. And through that, I'm, I'm, it, I find positivity because as an artist, and as a dyslexic also struggling all my life, you have to learn to think creatively about yeah. your situation. Yeah.
0: I so can completely that, get that. that.
2: That's it, man. I wake up every day. I see something and go, man, well, the, ki- something.
0: the kindness comes shows up in this generosity.
2: Well, that's it. I, the randomness of it sometimes. Yeah. Uh, because even if it's, here's some of my garlic oh I didn't expect you to bring me any garlic yeah here, here you go you're opening a door saying yeah. thank you how about putting your signal on when you change lane
0: yeah exactly so I'm all about education and I have to know is there a book or two that have been influential in your let's go with the gardening life
2: sure I would say the botany of desire oh yes That's a big one for me because Mm -hmm. you start to realize, and and, and food of the gods, archaic revival tied into that, my Terrence McKenna phase, the food and agriculture, I mean, you are what you eat, right? The Oh, yeah. is is true. Big time. And when people also don't realize is that these things, aside from, you know, sustaining us um, metabolically, they are responsible for huge cultural changes. Oh, Yes people i say to people where does the word salary come from like i don't know you get paid money every day you know week two every two weeks you go to the bank no where does the word come from salary i don't know, salary no you're close
0: salt. i don't i don't know where does it come from well it's it's roman and you used to get paid in salt oh so sala
2: right salt mm-hmm. sal coming from that means you got paid your salary Your worth in salt for your work, because salt and spices were worth more than gold back then. Oh, if you right. had a good source of salt, then you could preserve your food. You could cure certain things. Your food would taste better. Interesting. All, all of those kinds of things. So, uh, you know that that I'd say that book alone and a lot of that made me realize how important food was outside of my own experience. Like I'm, you know, I have food every day on my table. Thanks, right. my dad, for helping me do this and learning. Uh, it's a huge one
0: right wow so what one final piece of advice you have for our listeners <laughs> and i and i realized that i just opened the opened the book for you to say a whole lot and i invite you, know, you
2: to okay for the listeners I, and uh, look I, i'm all about perception uh-huh. and paying attention you know maybe as a kid i was like my dad you know, seventies, a little heavy-handed. You know, Jesus boy, pay attention. You know, like we also grew up on a farm where anything could happen—from being crushed by a large animal to being, you know, killed by a tractor. And I've had right. friends that have died in farming accidents. Okay, uh, you become extremely aware of things, and what I'm always concerned of and and, and you know unsure of is. When I mention certain basic things about stuff that are going on, and not like theoretical physics or, uh-huh. you know, strange literary uh, books that have been written that are obscure that maybe nobody would uh, hear of. It's just this common sense baseline thing. And I go to myself, but this is the art of perceptions. Like I was saying before at the beginning of the show, this uh-huh. gardening thing, I can't garden. but pay attention to what's going on. Yeah. And before you know it, you start living symbiotically with that and your perception level starts to change. And, and I think when, you, when that happens, a multitude of other things turn on in your life in a way that is far greater than any app, movie, mm-hmm. vacation experience or anything because it happens every moment. My mom would yeah. say to me, Edward, every day is a gift. And as I get older, I realize that more and more because the perception of it becomes more and more intense. Yeah. So that's, you know, perceive people, however you want to look at it. Be perceptive. Look, pay attention. You know, give to your fellow man. Even if you hardly have any of yourself, it comes back a tenfold.
0: And every day is a gift.
2: Every day is a gift.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Ed. It's been a treat having
2: you. It's a pleasure to be here, and I I can't wait to share this with people because I I just love talking about food and agriculture.
0: I can tell. So how can our listeners get a hold of you and learn more about your music?
2: Come on over to edroman.net all the time, anytime, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. You can get the Ed Roman app for free oh iTunes. nice it's good for your android device all your ipod ipad all that state keeps you up to date has all my social media there you'll get my social media through my website stuff on youtube follow me on soundcloud twitter facebook <laughs> you're
0: everywhere
2: the- i'm everywhere
0: <laughs> fantastic thank you yeah. so much
2: hey greg thank you and thanks a lot james for uh, running the show yeah
0: james is great at editing